Welcome to the Calming Ground Podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth Minton, psychotherapist and mindfulness coach. This podcast is designed to offer you inspiration, wisdom, and actionable steps to support you to nurture your inner light. I had such fun interviewing Dr. Fred Moss, who's a psychiatrist, mental health advocate, keynote speaker, expert witness, author, and mental health coach. In this conversation, Dr. Fred normalized strong emotions, mental discomfort, and feelings of imbalance as simply part of being human and offered the possibility that you can have these experiences and nothing be wrong with you. It just means that we're human. I appreciate that Dr. Fred also talked about the importance of being heard and being seen and listening in an authentic and deep way to others as also a form of building connection for regaining balance and finding growth and healing. Dr. Fred has been known to say, the essence is as things are, you and I are whole and complete right now. I hope you enjoy Dr. Fred's wisdom, his insight, and he's funny. I welcome you to listen to this episode and to leave me a review and tell me what you think. Thank you. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being here today, Dr. Fred. And I'm really looking forward to getting the chance to talk to you more about both your journey to where you are now, and then also uh, wisdom and insight that you have that you want to share. So thank you for being here. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. It's really great to be here. So I ask everyone at the beginning, you know, I I believe that we come into these spaces um, in our work because of our own journey of maybe healing or having our own breakthroughs. And so I'm curious if you can speak a little bit to what brought you here to what you mm-hmm. do now? And then we can speak a little bit more about what it is that you do. Yeah. So um, that's a good question. And, I, I, you know, people phrase it differently, sort of getting the history of, well, how did we get to be who we were? You know, how did we get to be who we are? And I would say that I really benefited a lot as I was growing up from coaching and from therapy. And, you know, I had, I guess I had, um, you know, a childhood that was it was seeped in therapy. My mom was a social worker. My uh, brother was a psychiatrist. And there was a real opportunity to see uh, the power of communication as I was growing up. I remember being in my playpen and watching my two older brothers, 10 and 14 years older than me, and my parents actually talking with each other and exchanging ideas and thoughts. And although I was pretty young, I knew that that's what I wanted to do when I grew up. I knew I was very interested in communication. It seemed like they would get into heated arguments or passionate um, conversations. And then from there, something would happen. And, you know, I, I remember watching in awe and admiration that someday I would get to do that. And I was actually hoping that would happen through the conventional educational system. You know, I was hoping that when I got to kindergarten, they would show me how to talk to people and how to be with people. But of course, that isn't really what happens in kindergarten. And, um, 
you know, picking your nose and throwing blocks <laughs> and taking naps in the afternoon was more of what happened in kindergarten. Mm -hmm. So I figured the big kids probably learned how to communicate somewhere. They must have learned. And as school went on, I really saw that it got more and more constricted rather than more and more, you know, free, more and more liberating. And I began to see that the only place I was really going to learn how to communicate was outside of school. So I, and, you know, whether that be in recess or after school or with my family or on the telephone or many different ways that I could communicate. I do remember uh, those party lines early, early on when I was a child where you could call a certain number and there'd just be a number of people. It was like a chat room long before there was um, long before there was the Internet. And I was very interested always in at least the one half of communication, which is the talking half. And it took me a little while to learn that actually listening is at, at least as valuable. If, and I think now I really believe that it's way more valuable than even the talking. But I really began to uh, see that in that talking, you know, they they as a as a as a teenager, I was um, my, my parents set me up with my own therapist and I had a therapist, had someone I could go to once or twice a week and speak to what was going on in my life and get organized, you know, get optimized to actually be able to do school or do my social life or do my family a little bit better than I would have if I wouldn't have had someone to talk to. So I was on the receiving end and the recipient end as a child. And I really, really learned how to appreciate that. And essentially that didn't stop. You know, I really began to believe that having a connection with other people was where it was at. And I remember, again, even in my own um, high school experience and my uh, early college experience, that people were very interested in talking to me about their issues. People would come to me and they would drop whatever was going on, whether it was their relationships or their family or their health or their habits or their, you know, their uh, accomplishments in school or in the community. And I was uh, I was a, a really good, I guess, a, you know, a, a shoulder to cry on or, a, a, you know, a sounding board for them. And I really always very much appreciated that. Then as time went on, I really began to really reject the conventional uh, educational system. I dropped out of college and uh, came all the way to California so I could find out who I was. And I did find out who I was that summer, but it was in a non-sustainable way. And then eventually went back to college one more time to learn about this new field, a new up and coming field that was, uh, you know, my brothers, again, 10 and 14 years older, had told me was going to be something we should probably pay attention to. And uh, the field was called computers. And the only computer that there was in all of Michigan was at the University of Michigan, where I had attended. So I went back there to learn computers. I learned a few different computer languages that year. And I didn't want to be a punch card person. I didn't want to be somebody who just did batch jobs. And that's what that was all about. I was up all night doing batch jobs. And it just didn't seem like the future that was built for someone who wanted to communicate. Now, over time, of course, these two things have really merged. And what we're doing now is we're communicating with computers and we're computing with communication. So these two things have become sort of the, you know, peanut butter and chocolate of, uh, of communication these days. And, you know, they're the two things that I have uh, some degree of expertise in, the idea of computing and the idea of connection and communication. And when I finally went back to school the third time, 
it was after doing a little uh, stint, a uh, four-year stint as a childcare worker in a state mental health hospital for adolescent boys. And that was where I really learned how to communicate as a childcare worker and really learned that connection will cause healings in all directions, not just for the, the kid who was only six or seven years younger than me, but also for me and for everyone else. Like people really just want to be heard. They just want to be resonated with. They just want to be um, connected to, you know, they just want to be gotten. And I really um, believe that each and every person on the earth is that really that's what they want more than anything is to be heard for who they are and to really be seen and gotten for why they came here in the first place. I didn't like the way psychiatry was done in that particular hospital and decided that I wanted to go back to be a psychiatrist in order to upend what was being done. I was already pretty rebellious. And the idea was that, you know, let's bring communication to the center rather than the, the pathway that psychiatry was already on, which was um, in the world of diagnosing or calling people defective or afflicted or diseased or misaligned or whatever we would call people and then trying to fix them uh, oftentimes through medicines. So I went into psychiatry with the idea that I would be a counter influence to way, the way that things uh, had already uh, began in psychiatry. And in fact, you know, uh, in psychiatry, while I was there, while I was training, uh, that's when Prozac was introduced and Prozac changed the world. I don't know, most people who are your age or something, they don't really, really recognize how how ridiculous Prozac was when it was first introduced. You know, the pill itself was on the cover of Newsweek. It was on the cover of Time. And the idea was it was going to be, you know, injected into the water systems of New York and L.A. And that it, yeah, it was like the panacea. It was like when whatever's feeling bad, you can fix by taking a Prozac. So this biological psychiatry idea or the idea that um, chemical imbalance was at the source of all mental illness really grew from those days. So by the time I graduated and did my residency and then did my child and adolescent fellowship, I had already had many years of sunken costs. And there I was kind of being released into a field that was already deeply diagnostically based and deeply psychopharmacologically based. And so I was now, you know, out there doing that, which I really despised doing. I, in many, really was misaligned with. And over the next 30 years, that's what I did. I, I got very good at diagnosing people and medicating people and making decisions from a doctor and always hoping to inject communication as being the really the source of how people get better. I learned what I learned about medicine, about medicine in general, about psychiatry in particular, about diagnosing and the DSM, you know, uh, approach to um, finding what's wrong with people and then attempting to fix it with pills. I learned everything that I knew how to do and was pretty good at it. You know, I have had over 30,000 charts, closer to 40,000 charts that I've entered my signature in over that time. And eventually got to the point that the soul sacrifice or the headaches that I was having by being a psychiatrist and pretending to diagnose people with having something wrong with them. And then even worse, actually giving medicines that I thought weren't going to work or might likely make them worse. So I had taken an important oath, uh, which most people understand is an important oath for doctors, and it's called the Hippocratic Oath. And at least one piece of that is first do no harm. And I found myself not sure that I wasn't doing harm. So I dropped out of medicine on a couple of occasions, actually three or four times where I said I would could never be a doctor again. 
until I eventually uh, did a few, a great deal of continued growth and development and transformation and really realized that I could be a healer. I could be somebody who stepped in as a coach, as a facilitator, as a guide, as a mentor, as a leader uh, to help people see that there are other ways to go rather than the conventional psychiatric way to manage your mental health um, discomfort. And that mental health discomfort, of course, is just inherent in being human. Like, I, I guarantee you have mental health discomfort. Of course, I haven't talked to you much, but I know that you do. Absolutely. Yeah, yes. of course. Of course, <laughs> absolutely is just the answer. You know, it's like, it's not like, no, I don't. No, no, you do. <laughs> you do. And so does the other 8 billion people. Everybody here does. And when we start getting that it's part of being human to be uncomfortable, to be highly uncomfortable, in fact, to be miserable, to have points in time where things are just totally out of balance, to have things in time when you're totally terrified or totally saddened or um, maybe even totally angry or at least in pain or in discomfort or in misery, like in and sometimes unspeakable misery, like you know, intolerable misery. Once you can get that that's part of being human and really incorporating that truth into what it takes to connect to another person. Because I had already learned, as we already know, and I learned this when I was four years old in that in that playpen, that what we really need to do is connect with each other. And again, I don't mean this in a woo-woo fashion. I just mean that that's really all we really need to do. Now, all the divisiveness and the splitting that has happened over the last several years that has gotten even worse or more pronounced, this is extremely damaging to the core of humanity. And again, the idea that we are no longer listening to each other, we are choosing to stop listening. Someone says something we disagree with, we disregard them entirely as a human being. I'm guilty of that. And many people are guilty of that. Like if anything I've said just now doesn't resonate with somebody, they might turn me off and say, I, I just don't like Dr. Fred. Really? Because I said something that is in disagreement with what you've learned in your life that, you know, with either neither of us likely being correct. But in reality, all that happened is I said something different than what you believe. What if we were able to bridge that gap and not only find our true voice through listening, but actually through creativity, which is other forms of self-expression, and then be able to connect with each other. You know, it's the most important thing we have to do is to communicate with each other. I, there are significant issues going on in the world, right? You realize that some yes. pretty, pretty major stuff going on. Uh -huh. And, um, you know, and some people would say that maybe the virus or climate change or sex trafficking or, you know, some people might say that racism is a big deal or that war is a big deal. And, you know, it, it, those things are huge. Like those things are threatening the entire human race, or if you could even say the entire planet itself. None of them are huger than the fact that we don't know how to communicate with each other because each and every one of them, in order to get to the other side of it, are going to require communication with each other. And if we have lost that capacity to actually connect with people who might even disagree with us on particular important issues, then we're done. It's toast. I mean, seriously, we're done. It's over. Like, close the doors. And that isn't true with any of the others per se. I mean, they're all they're all calamity. And really, each and every I don't I certainly don't mean to diminish anything I've just listed and others have the same ilk. But I want to say that without communication, we have no chance of getting to the other side of any of them. 
we have forgotten how to communicate because we become people. We're now pretending to be people that we're not in order to protect the person that we are, which is an absurd strategy, entirely absurd, totally ludicrous, preposterous. And it doesn't work on top of that. We do that to protect ourselves. And in either case, we're going to be dismissed. Either case, we're going to be disrespected. Either case, we're going to be tossed off the island. And it doesn't really protect us by pretending to be somebody else. Yet that's what we have learned over time. And the idea now is to wash away those, um, you know, those fabrications and those embellishments and uh, those imaginative people that we have become in order to protect our real self and start really speaking our truest voice. And so that we connect with other humans. What I find is that when we spark, start speaking authentically and genuinely, we naturally resonate harmonically with other humans. We are much closer to being like each other than we are different from each other. And all that's different from each other is that we have chosen chosen to become different kind of people than who we really are. But if we would all distill ourselves to who we really are, imagine the music and the symphony that we could really create if we used all of our strengths to take on uh, take on any of these issues. I mean, if we really it's just an imagination at this point, it seems like it's far away. And in fact, it is far away. It's true. It is. It's not happening today. I can promise you that it will not happen by the end of the day. And it's probably not going to happen by the end of next week. And it more than likely isn't going to happen by this year. Um, but the idea is it's a North Star that we can point to. Um, and the way to get there is to first find that true self of our own and discover what's down there underneath the muck, underneath the rust, underneath the you know, the dust and the, um, the veils that we have put over ourselves and get down to that core self, start presenting that self and start seeing that you're resonating with humans when you do that at a level that was really unpredictable and unimaginable. And from there, there's a capacity to be able to grow and develop. So that's what Welcome to Humanity is about. Welcome to Humanity um, kind of grew out of the books in 2017 and 18. It became something that's pretty self-explanatory, and it was the source of me doing, beginning to do one-to-one -one transformational restorative coaching over and above conventional psychiatry. I eventually did stop doing conventional psychiatry for a while, and uh, I'm now back to doing conventional psychiatry a little bit. I have uh, a, a company that I work with who respects my approach enough, and I respect their approach to realize that communication is at the center. So they allow me to be a psychiatrist and actually talk to people as a purpose. Like, I know it's a radical idea. Psychiatry is a, is not even meant. They don't even teach talking in psychiatric residency anymore. There's therapy is not part of it. And, you know, psychiatry. Oh, yeah. They're the ones who medicate. You know, they're the ones who offer medication. And uh, I only rarely have to prescribe medicines now. And I only do it when people command and come in and demand it or have already been on it and, you know, don't want to come off abruptly. But I don't see it as the primary or the first line approach to handling psychiatric imbalance or psychological discomfort at all, ever. I just don't. It's not the first line approach. It will either often exacerbate the symptoms, um, increase the symptoms, or in some cases, perpetuate the symptoms. And in, in the most, you know, uh, the most um, outrageous of the cases actually cause the symptoms that it's marketed to treat. Uh, this is a pretty good business model, but it's not something that I can align with. And 
in that first do no harm way of thinking, that's where my that's where my emphasis has been. So my books, Find Your True Voice and uh, Creative Eight, Healing Through Creativity and Self-Expression are aligned with the approach of really connecting with other people after finding our truest self. And in the beginning and in the middle and in the end, that's what we're really here to do is like really come to grips with who we really are, present that as who we are, stand for what's important to us, and then uh, create that communication and connection harmonically and resonantly with other humans. I, um, I don't have anything much more than that. And you're not going to find that typically in the psychiatric you know, journals. You're not going to even find that in the psychiatric teaching. But you are going to find that in the playpens of four-year-olds. And that's where they really learned how to be human in the first place. So that's <laughs> how I got to be who I am. That's great. Ready to strengthen your self-care practice? I have a free guide for you to help you identify the areas in your life where you need the most replenishment and learn the next steps you can take to feel more relaxed and restored. To get the guide, go to www.thecalmingground forward slash opt hyphen in. The link is in the show notes so that you can live the ease-filled life you dream of. Um, there's so much that comes up for me as I hear you. Um, first of all, just a point of connection. I too come from a family of my, both my parents are psychotherapists. So I, and my grandparents were social workers, so I, yeah. I can resonate there. And then also I think a couple other things come up one, one time I, as I was talking to somebody because, you know, in, in psychotherapy, I'm, there's a lot of listening and they were asking me, well, how do you listen when somebody has a different view than you, maybe politically or whatever? Right. And I said, you know, it's, I just drop down, drop down to my humanity and meet their humanity like that. Mm -hmm. It's not that hard, you know, once you, once you kind of can drop down and just be mm -hmm. human together. So has yeah. resonated with me a lot. And then also yeah. the other piece that comes up for me as I hear, as I think about Thich Nhat Hanh, who said, who talked about deep listening as a form of healing and mm -hmm. how powerful just deep present listening can be. So mm -hmm. just, I, I really appreciate what you're sharing. And those were some of the things that came up for me yeah. as I was hearing you. Cool. Yeah. So um, just to clarify, so you're doing, so you're, you're do, practicing psychiatry and mostly it sounds like providing a, a healing space of presence, like a listening space. Is that my exactly. understanding, right? That's right. Okay. Yep. And, okay. And then you also have your books that you've written. And one of those, is that a course that you mentioned? Right. I, I have a course called the True Voice course. And the True Voice, uh, it uses podcasting as a template, actually. So it helps uh -huh. people see that this particular media, which is an, an extraordinary media for actually speaking our truest self, there's nowhere out here where we get to own our own uh, content and in fact, deliver what's really on our mind to actually be consistent with our core values and to speak what's really true for us. There is no pace that uh, allows for or encourages or invites people to do this more than in the podcasting world. Now, it's not critical to become a podcaster, but, you know, even YouTube and, and Facebook and all the social medias, they own the, they own all of the content and can shut you down in any second. And, you know, they steal your content and people can do all sorts of funky things with your content. Now, there's a there's a merger between what's here in podcasting and the social media, because where else are you going to advertise your podcasting with it rather than on social media? 
So this is the generative ground for having great conversations. And then what you do with it afterwards is up to you. But anyways, in the True Voice course, that's where we get a systematic approach to taking away that which is in the way of finding what's really important for you and then really speaking it openly and honestly. And so that's a, uh, there's six modules, there's um, 18 uh, lessons, there's 54 prompts, there's a whole workbook that comes with that. And a, a little bit of uh, live group work as well as an individual work with me that comes with uh, the, it's called the True Voice Course. We can find that at truevoicecourse.com. And I've also done a fair amount of podcasting myself. I like being a guest and I have my own podcast. And I like doing keynote speaking and I like working with corporations and small groups. So I have multiple different spaces where I can inject myself. And because this works everywhere. Like this is not this is not a this is not a small range of people that this works with. This is for this is what humanity is about, and each and every person is a human after all. Yes, right on. Okay, so for the Common Ground podcast, I usually work around themes each month, and this theme is kind of grappling with guilt. And so I'm wondering when you are speaking with people, and they're really grappling with their struggle with. I did something wrong or guilt or even shame because those two can can meet. I'm wondering what do you what's your response? How do we yeah. yeah. Yeah, so you know, guilt and shame, they're really uh, they're really deep hitters, aren't they? They really once they're once they've arrived, they can color the entire world of every everything we see and everything we do and everything we say and every even everything we think. When we're living in a world of severe guilt or severe shame, you know, we're being the judge of ourselves, we're being the assessor, the evaluator of something that we've done in the past or something that we've thought. You know, sometimes that's all it takes. I'm guilty of thinking that this bad or nefarious thought or this naughty thought or something like that. But I suppose usually we're talking about it's things that I've done that I don't feel that I kind of regret doing or, you know, things that I've been caught doing that I was hoping I would never get caught. It's often more of the case. And uh, we start looking at that, then it has a, you know, they're, they're releasing guilt is, um, is something that we humans do have the gift of doing. We can release ourselves from the guilt that we experience. But we have to first take it on and really respect it for what it's been and how did it get there and what are we really saying about ourselves? And, you know, are we, we often equate guilt to us being a bad person, like us being less than or defective or wrong. And there's possible that we're not defective, wrong or less than that. All of this guilt stuff is also one of the potpourri, one of the smorgasbord items on the uh, lunch table of what it means to be a human. And we start really realizing that, you know, I can relate to this person's guilt. I, as a therapist or I, as a friend, um, a colleague, an inter, uh, interaction partner, can relate very much to the guilt that another person is experiencing. I don't have to add to it by pointing at them, for instance. You know, really get that this as part of humanity, what we're going to do to get on the other side of discomfort is to be able to connect with each other and get, you know, I really understand that you're feeling guilty. I really get that. And I can feel it myself vicariously while you're feeling guilty. And in that process, there's the magic of that resonance that what people want more than anything is to be heard for what their true experience is. So if you can get somebody to talk about their guilt or the items or item that has led them to feel so guilty, that's when you can connect with them and, in fact, connect with their human humanity. And in that process, the dissolution 
like the dissolving of the um, event or the events or the experiences that have led to guilt is often, you know, automatic. And uh, again, maybe the guilt doesn't go away forever, but it's something that, wait, can I forgive? Can I accept? Can I be compassionate? Can I be patient? Can I be understanding? Um, and if I can do that with myself, which are all just as made up and just as emotional as guilt is. So if you can do guilt, you can do any of those as well. Um, they can counteract it fairly, effect fairly effectively and uh, leave someone free to be on the other side of whatever it was that had them feeling guilty or shameful. Yes, absolutely. Just, just the ability to bring it to somebody and have it held and, and understood exactly what you're describing, right? That yeah. heard and, under, and seen, and th that can allow some acceptance already in the, in, for the person. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah that's beautiful. Okay, so um, I'm wondering when you are in working with people, and you've kind of already spoken to this, but I wonder if there's anything else that comes up for you. And if not, that's fine too. Um, what do you find most helpful? Like when you're meeting with somebody who might, for example, come to you thinking medicine's going to be the answer for them, mm. or the, you know, I'll take this pill and it, and I'll be okay. What do you find really helps reach them? Well, the first thing to really, uh, I, I find myself going to is there might be nothing wrong with you. Mm. And really tapping, like ringing that bell. Can you get that there might be nothing wrong with you? Yeah, and many true. people have a very hard time with that hurdle. Absolutely. Like people need to believe there's something wrong with them. There's a real value in that. And I've looked at that, you know, what is it that about people that need to believe there's something wrong with them? In fact, we all need to believe there's something wrong with us. We all tend to believe that we're different than all the other people in the world and that there must be something wrong with us. It is so common to believe that there's something wrong with us that, in fact, if you believe there's something wrong with us, that's just a sign of how normal you are because we all believe there's something wrong. <laughs> right. It's actually just a symptom of being human that we know that there's something wrong with us. So when we start looking at there might really, no matter what you've been told, no matter how many clinicians have told you, you have this particular psychiatric or any kind of malady, you might not have it. It's simply in the form of a conversation. It's simply in a form of an agreement reality that can allow us to really start looking. Maybe what you have wrong with you is simply nothing. Maybe what you have wrong with you is that you have been struggling to get through uh, this, this crazy, challenging, obstacle-filled thing called life. And that this is what you've done up until now, always making what you thought was at least the right decision, all things considered, minute after minute for the entire life of yours. And it hasn't always led you to the promised land, that's for sure. You've made some significant mistakes and found yourself you know, with your face flat on the ground or uh, looking down a sewer instead of down, you know, instead of up a waterfall. That's okay. That's part of being human. Can you get that even having difficulty attending to things or being really afraid or being really sad or being really anxious? They're all just gifts. They're all just part of the human experience. No matter what you've been told, they're not pathology. Now, if we start looking at that as I can respect you as a human and then live and walk the walk of respecting you as a human, that what and respecting myself as a human, because I'm seeing through judging eyes, too. So can I respect myself as a human and the other human as a human and resonate at that level? Then I think that's where we can launch a new direction that, you know, most people are 
kind of shocked to hear that and yet very comforted at the same time. They're like, wow, you're entirely different than anybody I've ever talked to. I'm like, not really. Not really at all. I, that's what makes the whole thing interesting is, no, I'm really not. Yeah. I'm actually the same as everybody you've ever talked to. But all I'm pointing out is that we are sharing a thing called the human experience. And, you know, and um, we like to diagnose people when we diagnose people. We, you know, it gives us a little thrill that we're obviously we don't have whatever it is we just diagnose somebody with. Um, and we like carrying on diagnoses as well. Many of us, you know, psychiatry is the only subspecialty in all of medicine that if you tell people they're okay, they get furious. <laughs> That's so funny. It's actually true, right? People come in and they really need to know that the diagnosis that they've designed for themselves is what they have. And that allows, again, this is not true for everybody, you know, and I want to make a disclaimer. If you're presently in psychiatry as a client, and you have a great therapist or you have a great doctor or you really love the way things are going or, you you know, you think that you have found the panacea or you have found your 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 answer and your life is going well as a direct function of you being in the psychiatric conventional psychiatric field or the mental health field. By all means, please don't shift now. There's nothing I'm saying here that is asking you to shift off of your horse. If you've got something that works, by golly, keep doing it. Absolutely positively no question about it that's true for all of life if you have found something that works please keep doing it of course why would i ask you to stop doing something that's working this conversation is for the hundreds of millions of people who aren't that who have found that it does not work it doesn't work as well as they would hope for or in fact has caused way more problems than they had anticipated or predicted and this conversation is about looking at other ways to do that. So when we really get, you know, that there might be nothing wrong with us, that's when we can really, well, what can I do then? Well, you can tune up your life so that you can deal with life as it keeps lifing for you. Because life's going to keep lifing here in every second. That's one thing we can be sure of. Life's going to be keep, you know, going to keep lifing. And the things that we can do don't have to do with putting a toxic chemical into our mouth of all things, as if that's going to affect the world around us. What we have is the opportunity to tune up ourselves using the age old message that, you know, Thich Nhat Hans and many others have put, have discovered or rediscovered for us. For, for instance, you know, just mindfulness or just, uh, you know, detoxification or the physical groundedness, you know, even the martial arts or the yoga or, you know, what uh, what about nutrition? What about drinking really great water? What about creativity, art, music, dancing, um, the performing arts and the visual arts? What about, you know, nature? What about journaling? What about pampering ourselves? What about, you know, these are these are things that we already know that if we would do these things, if we each and every one, if we would inject them into our lives, we would have a better life. Is it? Yes. No one, no one denies that. I mean, yes. It's pretty non-controversial. If you do the those things that I just listed, if you did all of them every day, you'd have a great life. Uh -huh. You just would. You'd have a you'd have a life, and now that wouldn't be a life without pain. You would still have pain, but you would have access. You'd be tuned up to manage whatever is here to manage life. You know, and that includes physical movement. It includes being of service to other people, maybe more than anything else. In fact, like actually being a contribution. 
It includes, um, you know, loving your family and it includes being compassionate, patient, understanding, all those things like bringing the, the emotions of acceptance into your human experience. If we were to do all those things, that's one of the opportunities and one of the alternatives. And the other one is to, to accept a diagnosis that there's something wrong with me and start eating medicine. I really, they're not, there's not much of a comparison between those two ways of looking at life. And it's not that hard to, uh, to, you know, display that for people to actually, uh, you know, um, enlighten people about that. Um, and once they're, once they're on that track, it's again, a little bit disruptive from where they came into the office with, uh, it's a, it's a liberating concept that in fact, they might be able to do this without, get, without getting worse, without accepting they're going, that they're on some path of slow deterioration between now and when they die. Cause that's not the truth. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is kind of resounding like a bell because I mean, this is also I mean, it's what I believe in, what I do too. So around just practice, just practicing ways. And I love the word, the life will keep lifing and the idea of tuning up to the life that's going to keep lifing. Exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, I so appreciate what you're sharing. And I'm wondering, um, as we come to a close, I wonder if there's anything else that's coming up for you that you would like to share as maybe closing thoughts or a message that you really would love people to hear that maybe is still there for you? Well, along with the one that I usually lead with, and this when this people ask me a similar question, this idea that there might be nothing wrong with you, that's a really important one. There's the other half of that, which is that you can be a healer too. You don't have to have a degree in order to do what I'm talking about. You do not have to be well-educated. You do not have to have gone to a major university or to have a big job in the mental health field to be a healer, to be somebody who another person can resonate and um, connect with. And in that resonating and connection, that's where healing actually emanates from. And in that source of healing is really essential love. And we start looking at what is really love? You know, love is sitting right there in the connection between a person and another person. And, and that connection is created by that harmonic resonance, which is created by being pure to yourself, like actually getting down and deep and dirty into what's going on underneath this whole thing that's you. And once you're getting connected with that and you start using this concept of radical listening to be with other folks, like actually listening to them as a human, and not being turned off and dis, you know, dismissing them simply because they said something that's misaligned or that's different than what you think is so. Um, you know, that is like an epidemic at this point. If someone says something that you don't agree with, you just disregard their entire personhood. Very, very, very unfortunate, extremely unfortunate decision that we as humans are collectively making right now. That's like the damaging blow. You know, if we're just going to disregard somebody who is simply has reached a different conclusion about some per portion of life or life itself than we do, if we're just going to disregard them as a human, then we are making a very, very, very high powered and expensive decision about humanity. But you can be a healer, too, is what I think I want to say to the listeners, which is all you really have to do is open up your mind and open up your thoughts, your dream, you know, your your embracing capacity to get that over there is somebody who if you were them, you would be saying and thinking exactly what they are. And, you know, the idea is that they really earned it, too. They earned whatever they're saying, including the stuff that, you know, is so totally dead wrong. It's OK. 
That's just what's so. And you have to start with what's so and move on from there. So not only am I saying there might not be something wrong with you, there may not be anything wrong with them either. And you have a capacity to actually be a healer by listening, resonating, and opening up the gates for what it is other people are trying to communicate. Thank you so much, Dr. Fred. I really appreciate what you're sharing. Of course. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening today. Subscribe to not miss another episode. And please share this podcast with a friend you think might benefit. I'd love to remind as many people as possible that they too can have the peace, calm, and rejuvenation that a little self-love and care can bring. And lastly, I'd love if you would leave me a review and let me know how I'm doing. See you next week.